you know, good evening and welcome to a Saturday evening, October the 9th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and we are delighted that you've joined us tonight. Um, we are with Lucas Doremus, our usual Saturday night guest. And uh, tonight we will be uh, continuing in our series on parables. I do not know which parables we're going to cover, but Lucas is going to tell us here real shortly, won't you, Lucas? Hi, uh, sure. Go for it, sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the microphone is yours. <laughs> the uh, yeah. Uh, well, with this study, we just get through as many as we get through. Uh, so, you know, I have a bunch prepared and whatever I get through, I get through. So this first one's going to be fun. We're going to do the parable of the wicked vine dressers. Okay. We are going to read it in Luke 20. But I also, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 21 as well. Uh, we're actually going to read about half of it in Luke and half of it in Matthew. Uh, just this is one of those parables that uh, Mark tells it too, actually, although it's very similar to Luke, which is why we're reading this one in Luke. Uh, but this is one of those parables that you kind of have to combine what all the Gospels say to really get a picture of what was going on, because uh, Luke and Matthew and Mark each give detail that uh, may not be found in one of the others. So you get this when you get through all three of them, you get this full picture. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 20. This is verse 9. Now, if you remember from last week, the parable of the two sons preceded this one. Right. And the, the parable of the two sons is basically Jesus telling uh, the Pharisees, look, change your mind like the tax collectors and the harlots about who I am. Believe in me. So you'll go to heaven. That's basically what that parable is saying. Now, Jesus knew that the parable or the, <laughs> the parables, the Pharisees were not going to change their mind. Now, that does not mean he did not allow them to change their mind or he removed their free will, but he knew they wouldn't and he still gave them a chance. And Pastor Dick, you've, I, I think, I'm pretty sure you've talked about predestination and foreknowledge on yeah. this podcast before. And that's exactly what I'm saying is Jesus knew, but he didn't force. That's right. And so, and so he told the parable of the two sons to allow them to change their minds, even though he knew they wouldn't. Right. And so now, because he knew they wouldn't, he tells the parable of the wicked vine dresser. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. It says, then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a faraway country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they may give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Verse 11. Again, he sent another servant and they beat him also, treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And again, he sent a third and they wounded him and also cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir. 
come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Now that's where we're going to stop. So we stopped right after Luke 15. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Now we know from Luke, Jesus asked the question to the Pharisees, and it makes it sound, in Luke, it makes it sound like it's a rhetorical question, but in Matthew, the Pharisees actually answer it. So go to Matthew chapter 21, verse 41. This is the Pharisees' answer to that same question that is asked in Matthew chapter, four, or chapter 21, verse 40. They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to another to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. Mm. So the Pharisees, you know, they knew. So that this, the situation here with the vine dressers and the guy wanting the fruit of it, they knew exactly what they would do in this situation. <laughs> they knew that if uh, they were the owners of vine dressers and the people they put in charge treated people like that, yep. they knew that he would get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jesus then catches them in this, and that's where he quotes uh, Psalm 118, I believe it is. And so this is the, the prophecy of the stone which the builders rejected. Well, who do we think the stone is? <laughs> the stone's clearly Jesus, uh, and he is the chief cornerstone. You know, this is a verse that Peter quotes later. You know, because Peter knew that the rock on which the church was built was Jesus as the chief cornerstone, not Peter. <laughs> right, Pastor Dick? <laughs> right. By the way, the yeah. word for the, the Greek word for Peter uh, is, is, uh, is rock. But when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, he used a different Greek word. Mm -hmm. And so, and so. Peter knew then that that Jesus Christ was the rock and it wasn't himself. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I remember a guy named Walter Martin, if that name rings a bell to anybody. Mm -hmm. I remember him talking about this passage and he would read it. And upon this rock, and then he would pat him on the chest really hard, um, yeah. just signaling that Jesus was talking about himself. Well, correct. In that verse. And so, uh, so in verse 43 of Matthew, here, here Jesus basically gives us the provoked thought. He says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Well, what in the world does that mean? So we can guess what the first part means. Well, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to the first century Jewish leaders. They clearly have rejected the kingdom by this time. So they're not getting it. But who is it going to be given to? A nation bearing the fruits of it. Now, depending on your background and, and what you believe, uh, there, are, there would be people that would say, well, that must be the church. <laughs> well, there, there's a big problem with that because in the epistles, Paul and other writers make it very clear that the church is not a nation. 
the, the church consists of all peoples uh, where there is no Jew or Gentile, uh, Paul says in Galatians. So the church is not a nation. So to try to say that the uh, nation to which the kingdom of God is given is the church, that's a big problem among other problems, but that's the biggest one. Well, who's he talking about? Well, the Gentile. What, what nation was the uh, kingdom promised to? Oh, the, the Jewish nation. The Jewish Israel, nation, right. So there will be eventually a generation of Jews, a generation of the Israel nation that will bear the fruits of the kingdom. And it will be the generation of Jews in the tribulation that survive. So when he says, give to a nation bearing the fruits of it, that's the eventual Jewish nation in the tribulation. Ah, okay. Yeah. And so, and that's going to be, and, and Curtis, I hear you, that's going to be made even more clear when we get to the Olivet Discourse and the parables and that, yeah. uh, which, right. uh, which we may get to today. I don't know. I've got it prepared, but I'm not sure if we're going to get that far. So, so when he says this nation bearing the fruits, that's the eventual, that's the same Jewish nation, but the one that's going to bear the fruits. What is the bear the fruits? Well, that means they're going to believe in Jesus to start. And then they're going to do the things, say, in the Beatitudes, once they get into the kingdom. They're going to have this mindset where they're going to do the works of the kingdom. And so that's what he's talking about this, is that the, the first century Jews rejected Jesus. The tribulation Jews will accept him. Now, what of this last verse? And, who, on, and whomever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. Uh, there are a couple of good views out here on this verse. Uh, the first half of the verse is a little easier. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Well, who's going to fall on this stone? Uh, whoever does not believe in Jesus, they will be broken or not enter the kingdom. Um, I, I don't think he's talking about people falling on the stone in faith and say their pride being broken. I think that's outside the context. I, I think he's saying whoever falls in the stone will be broken, that if you fail to recognize the stone, if you fall on him, if you stumble at the stone, so to speak. Hurt you. Yeah. Right, right. The last half, whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. Uh, that could be talking about future judgment. That's judgment, yeah. Uh, it, it, that's what it's most likely talking about. Um, and there's a couple other views out there. Um, honestly, I'm not sure which it is. What I do know is in the context, what Jesus is saying is whoever doesn't believe in him won't enter the kingdom. Right. And so that I can be sure of what this verse means. It's saying if you don't believe in Jesus, you will not get in the kingdom. You'll stumble. Uh, you'll reject that chief cornerstone. Right. So, uh, so don't do that. Um, just like th this parable is clearly directed at the first century Pharisees, uh, but the same goes for today. The, same, the application is the same. Don't reject Jesus. Uh, you can and you can find whatever reason you want, uh, but eventually it'll, it'll be too late and those reasons won't work. Yeah. So believe in Jesus today uh, is my admonition to you. Yeah. Um, Alrighty, so then there's, a, there, there's another parable that immediately follows this one uh, in Matthew. We'll go ahead, actually, we'll read uh, Matthew 21, verse 45. It says, now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. 
Uh, see, they knew exactly what these parables meant. They're, they recognized themselves, yeah. Yes, and instead they, they recognized that Jesus was going to take away the kingdom, but they did not recognize that they should have been the son that changed their mind. They didn't want to make change their mind. Verse 46, it says, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. And so the Pharisees, you know, they missed it, but they weren't necessarily stupid. Uh, they knew if they tried to get Jesus and throw him in jail at that point, they'd have a riot on their hands. Um, yeah. Riots, we can read about those in Acts. Um, you know, I'm no historian to know how often they happened or anything, but they happened apparently often enough that they didn't want to rile up the people. Um, especially in terms of what Rome would do to them. Yeah. They weren't going to do that. So this next parable uh, is, it starts in chapter 22 of Matthew. It's the next verse. Uh, this is the parable for, of the wedding for a king's son. And especially in these parables, and when we get into the kingdom parables, there's a very common thread. You're going to hear the same type of provoked thought very often. Uh, and Jesus is really trying to drive a point home here. In chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 1, it says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner my oxen and fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. Verse 6, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse 9, therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Mm -hmm. So this parable, remember, parables are just a picture with a meaning. Mm -hmm. So this, only has, this parable only has one meaning, uh, and any of the details must support that one meaning or provoked thought. Uh, what this parable does actually do is outline to us exactly how the kingdom's going to come, though. Uh, in verse 2, it says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Well, what's the God the Father doing? He is preparing a bride for his son right now. Right. And who's that? The church. That's us, the church. Yeah. And so he's arranging this marriage right now. Um, and we talked a few weeks ago about the order of a Jewish wedding ceremony. And so that's yeah. going on. Now, uh, in the next verses, he sent out servants. Well, this is akin to the same servants in the parable of the wicked vine dressers 
that will be rejected. Well, who are they? Well, those are the prophets. And eventually Jesus, as God's son, the heir to Israel and all his inheritance. Okay. And when they are the, the people who ignore it, well, that's the Jewish century or first century Jewish leaders. They're ignoring the times that they should be aware of. Uh, the king that is furious and sent out uh, his armies to destroy the murderers, well, that actually happened. That was in 70 AD, and Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, many Jews died, and the nation was scattered in the, into the dispersion. And so that actually happened. Well, then what happened? Well, he sent out other servants to go into the highways and find as many as you can invite to the wedding. Well, who's that? Well, that's the whole world. That's the Gentiles. That's the Gentile world, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then this parable doesn't make a distinction uh, between the church and the tribulation uh, for good reason, because the church still doesn't exist yet. But this idea of going out into the highways, going to the whole Gentile world, it's going to continue into the tribulation. Because when the rapture happens, there will be no believers left on earth. Right. Um, you know, one second after the rapture, which is a a uh, a sermon. A, gosh, what do you even call it? A speaking thing. <laughs> I can't think of the word yeah. that that, that uh, uh, Dr. Hickson does. Yeah. Uh, and he talks about one second after the rapture. One thing that's going to be true: there will be no believers left on the planet. Who is going to preach the gospel to the world? Well, God's going to call one hundred forty-four thousand Jewish witnesses that are going to go into the whole world. That's right. And so this parable doesn't make a distinction between those, but until the end of the tribulation, the whole world is in view. Now, uh, when they call them into the wedding hall, that parallels the, uh, the wheat and the tares or the dragnet where everybody's going to be gathered at the end of the tribulation. And what's going to happen? There's going to be a separation. And so when there are people in this wedding hall that don't have a wedding garment, those are the same people that are the fish and the dragnet that are going to be thrown out. Um, what we shouldn't do is read into this some kind of detail about, well, these are the people but that believe but really didn't believe. Um, if we kind of go with the Reformed theology part of it, that it's just talking about a gathering and then a separation, just like the other parables do. Yeah. Uh, it's not making a comment on certain qualities of faith or things like that. Um, and so then, uh, after that, those people are cast into outer darkness and weeping of gnashing the teeth. We've seen that phrase before, and that just means they're not into the kingdom. They're going to be thrown into hell, uh, which is a terrible place. It's real. You don't want to go there. Right. And so that's this parable. Again, even though none of that is the provoked thought of what I just said, it does outline for us exactly what's coming. Um, and so uh, what the actual provoked thought is, is in verse 14, it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. We've seen this phrase before. Many are called in this context. He's saying basically the entire world is going to be called. But few are chosen, meaning few are going to believe. Now, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. That doesn't mean that God chooses some for salvation and doesn't choose others. He knew who's going to believe, therefore he chose them. That's and correct. so that's what he's saying. Um, 
but how awful uh, that this is going to happen to so many people. Um, the Bible indicates often that there are few who believe out of the, you know, the total population of the earth through all of history. Um, it's going to be a margin of those people that actually believe. And how sad is that? Uh, yeah. You know, everybody's invited to this wedding feast. If nothing else, don't you want the free food? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the heaven's going to be the most wonderful thing. You know, eye has not seen or ear has heard what's in store for us, yet so many are going to reject it. Don't be one of those many, uh, listener. Be one of the few. Place your faith in Christ today. Amen. And so that wraps up the, 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 uh, the wedding for a king's son. Now, again, we're going to just keep seeing similar things. We'll move on to our next parable. Uh, this is all the way in Luke, though, in Luke chapter 12. This is the parable of a master returning from a wedding. Now, this one uh, sounds a whole lot like one of the peril, parables in the Olivet Discourse. And if it, if it wasn't for some passages in Luke that make a distinction, uh, we might run some of these parables together. But uh, in, in this verse or sorry, in this passage, Jesus is talking to the multitudes. We know that from Luke chapter 12, verse 1. And then the prompt actually is uh, in chapter 12 of Luke, verse uh, 13. It says, a person from the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then actually, Jesus tells a parable right there. Uh, but we're gonna, we're actually gonna skip that. We will get to that parable later. Uh, then he says in verse 22, therefore I say to you, do not worry. Uh, basically, do not worry. God takes care of you. In verse 34 of chapter 12 of Luke, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, so without going into all the wor the uh, do not worrying passage, uh, where are you building up treasure, listener? Are you building it here on earth uh, where it's not going to last? Are you going to build it up in heaven where it is going to last? Uh, something to think about. That starts our, that is the prompt for the parable is actually the conclusion of this section of do not worry. So we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. It says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down and eat, and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. This is a very simple parable. Uh, what Jesus is saying here is just, you could sum it down to two words, be ready. <laughs> and so what he's saying here, have your waists girded and your lamps burning. Well, if you're talking about servants, uh, what he's saying to the servants is be ready to serve. And have your lamps burning to know when you need to go serve. And so what he's saying is the master will bless those servants who are always ready. 
Uh, if you are sleeping on the job and the serve and the master has to come wake you up, that is not good. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to, to you, Pastor uh, Dick or Curtis. Um, I have been a manager at work where I've had employees under me and I have had to wake them up before. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a pleasant experience to go have to wake your employee up. Um, I'll, I'll guarantee it. That's yep. correct. <laughs> and so that is not good. I am definitely not blessing them for sleeping on the job. Now, Jesus even actually goes out farther. He says, blessed are those servants. This is verse 37. Who the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Now, that is very odd for a servant or for a master at that time to serve his servants. Uh, we are eventually going to get to a parable where Jesus says that we should uh, be thankful just that we completed everything that was done as servants. And actually, he calls us worthless servants, <laughs> but we'll get to there uh, one day. That will be a parable we'll eventually get to. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is that uh, uh, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And when he does come, he'll even give you rewards. He's going to come and serve you. Now, where are we going to throw those rewards, Pastor Dick? At the feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I wonder, uh, I tend to think there's going to be, you know, uh, worship services in heaven. I wonder, Pastor, if we are going to continually throw those crowns down. I wonder if that's not just a one-time event. Well, um, I guess I'll have to go look that up, Lucas, <laughs> because, I, because I thought it was a one-time event. However... You make a good point. I, 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 just, that? Mm -hmm. I, I just wonder. Um, I don't have a verse off the top of my head that would say, you know, this is uh, how it's going to be. But I just wonder. Um, if we're going to do that for eternity, we better have a whole lot of crowns, wouldn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> or are we going to get those back to do it again? Yeah, it may be. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> interesting to think about, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Um, Jesus here, when he says, be ready, uh, and he makes these references in the parable to coming at the second watch, the third watch, Jesus is going to come at an unsuspected time. Yeah. Now, what's interesting here, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. Um, now, we look at this, and we would say, oh, well, we know when Jesus is going to come. He's going to come exactly seven years from the peace treaty that's signed with Israel of the, of the Antichrist. Well, that's easy. Just turn on your watch and let it go seven years. You know when Jesus is going to come. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that easy. Um, and I may, I may make reference to this in other parables because I go through this once in my book. It's on the top of my head right now, so I'm just going to do it now. So there you go. Uh, in the tribulation, first of all, people in the tribulation may not know exactly when that peace treaty is signed uh we know just from how news is reported that something gets signed they don't necessarily report it right away uh they'll report it later after it was signed so most likely by the time the world is broadcasted to that there's a peace treaty between the antichrist and the uh, 
Israel, which unless you've got your Bible open, you won't know he's the Antichrist. You'll think he's the savior of the world. Yeah. Uh, and so you won't, you may not know exactly when that's going to happen. Now, also, there's going to be a lot of death in the tribulation. A lot of people are going to die. So we also know from some of the, the bowl and uh, trumpet and scroll judgments, uh, there's going to be a lot of food that's going to die, as in the animals. Yeah. Uh, we know the earth's going to be scorched, uh, which is going to deal with crops. Uh, so there, it may be more important to try to find food for your family than to try to pay attention to what day it is on the calendar. Yeah. Uh, another thing that's going to happen, we know there's cosmic disturbances. It talks about the moon being or the sun being darkened, uh, the stars falling. Uh, we don't know how long those things are going to last. So it could be difficult to know when a 24-hour period elapses for some time. So you could get pretty off in your calculation. Uh, not only that, this is just a speculation of mine. I would guess that he's going to come seven years according to the Jewish calendar. Yeah, yeah. Not, I, I believe that with all my heart. I yep, really not, do. not the Gregorian calendar. Right. And so if time, if by the time the rapture happens and the tribulation starts, the world is still on the uh, calendar we use now, and they still follow that in the tribulation, you're not going to have the correct date. Right. And so, you know, there are other parables that talk about being ready uh, because during the tribulation, it will be difficult to know when Jesus is going to come, even if you could precisely predict when that peace treaty was signed. Now, so that's what this parable is talking about. Be ready. Now, the application for us today, well, the rapture is a signless event. We don't know when it's going to happen. So we're told to be ready and be sober in First Thessalonians, just like Jesus is telling those tribulation Jews. Um, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. Boy, it sure seems like it's close, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, every, day, yeah. every day we seem to get closer and we see things happening. That is exactly what's going to happen in the tribulation. But yet there's a new day. Mm -hmm. it could it could go on a long time we just don't know uh we know the season uh we know that we're getting close but we don't know how close yet that's the tension you know of knowing when the rapture is i'd be happy if it happened right now yeah i'd be happy if i got raptured and didn't wake up tomorrow yeah i'd be really happy um but we don't know so we in, in the church are to be just like God commands these servants to be to have our waist skirted and our lamps burning. We should always be ready and we should be serving. Uh, and we should be prepared whenever Jesus would come. And so that's the admonition. Be ready, uh, brothers out there. Be ready for you do not know that for sorry, for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Right. Now, the next parable uh, we're going to talk about is actually the parable of the fig tree, and this is in the Olivet Discourse, but we're not going to exactly start there. This probably will be the last thing we're going to do. We're going to go into a little bit of background of the Olivet Discourse. Now, the Olivet Discourse, uh, if that's not familiar to you, is the long speech, so to speak, that, that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives, right. which is why we call it the Olivet Discourse. Um, there is uh, differing views 
about what the Olivet Discourse is about and who it's talking to and things like that. So we're going to go over the background of this. Now, I would encourage you, Dr. Hickson, that's on Tuesdays, he is currently doing a series at his church in Colorado on the Olivet Discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to actually visit his church while he's doing this series. It is still ongoing. And I would wager that it's probably the most detailed look at the Olivet Discourse out there. And so I would encourage you, I'm going to give some proofs for what I think about the Olivet Discourse is the same. And I know JD is the same, believes the same thing. And if you're interested in further information about the Olivet Discourse, please tune in to his series on this. Uh, But the context of this, Matthew 23 This is the great uh, woes on the Pharisees and the scribes, where he calls them hypocrites multiple times. He calls them snakes. He calls them whitewashed tombs. Uh, Not a very nice chapter. Um, One of those chapters, if, uh, if if you leave this chapter out, you might be able to come away this idea that Jesus was only kissing babies on the forehead. Um, Jesus was not, Jesus was not, now he was a very kind person and I think he, he blessed children and I think he loved them and was kind and compassionate. Uh, But he did these sorts of things. Uh, You know, he overturned tables. And so, uh, you know, we have to have a proper view of who Jesus was and what he did. In Matthew 23, uh, if you want to read along, this is verse 37. Uh, this honestly, when I read these verses, I usually get chills up my spine because it's very sombering. Um, I think you can hear, almost hear the emotion of Jesus in these verses. Um, and so we'll, we'll read it. This is Matthew 23, verse 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. See, God had tried over and over and over again to try to get uh, Israel to believe the right thing, to follow him, but they constantly turned away from him. Um, And here we have the biggest rejection of of Israel when Jesus shows up. Um, Oh, uh, I'm sorry if my, my computer just went wacky. Uh, if something happens here, I'm sorry if I lose you. Okay. Are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. I'm sorry. Something just was really weird. Uh, it's, it's those demons in the computers. Um, and if I say that you can probably imagine which kind of computer I'm using, but anyway, um, and, and so, uh, Jesus, I, he, this picture of a hen gathering chicks under her wings is such a beautiful picture of Jesus wanting to gather and protect and, and help grow Israel, um, but they were not willing. Um, how sad. Um, yeah. you know, I read that and you know, I can't help think of myself how often he want, just wants to take care of me. And I say, no, nope, I can do it on my own, God. I don't need you. <laughs> and I have the same response. Verse 38, it says, see your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, That last part, that's a quotation of Psalm 118. Uh, What Jesus is saying here is that you won't see me again until you as a nation, Israel, cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right. 
and when is that going to happen? At the end of the tribulation. The end of the tribulation. Yep. Yep. And so the context here, Jesus is saying, Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate. You have nothing left in your house. It's worthless. It's empty. And you're not going to see me again, me as your king, until you cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right. What happens next? This is Matthew 24, verse 1. It says, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. I think what happened here, the disciples get a little nervous. Uh, there are references in the Bible to the fact that the disciples thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Mm -hmm. And it sure seemed like this. I mean, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy, riding Jerusalem on a donkey and things like that. Uh, so I think the disciples are kind of, when it says, show him the buildings of the temple, they're kind of doing this. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this grand? Don't you want to start the kingdom? Uh, kind of thing. And Jesus replies to them. And uh, do you not, he says, you know, do you not see all of Jerusalem? Assuredly, not one stone will be left here upon another. Uh, that literally happened in 70 AD. 70 AD yeah. Yep. You have Rome coming in and attacking Jerusalem. And what they did was they burned it uh -huh. and there was gold in the temple. And what they did, because they burned it, that gold melted down. And because they wanted all the gold, they actually took block by block the temple apart to get all that gold. So Jesus is being absolutely literal here. Not one stone was left upon another. Yeah. So verse 3 in chapter 24, he says, it says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now this verse has come under in scrutiny by a lot of different schools of thought. Um, I think these questions are all the same. Uh, when will these things be? When, when will be the sign of your coming? of the end of the age. Well, those are all talking about the same event. Mm -hmm. um, and even actually, if you go to Mark, oh, what is it? I think it's Mark chapter 12. This is one of those things where I'm going off script. And of course, now I'm not prepared. Uh, okay. In Mark chapter 12, verse three, it says, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, so really, the, those four disciples are asking it, and probably all the other disciples are there, and he's telling them all uh, what will happen at the end of the age. Now, before we go on to, you know, some proofs here of why this is talking about the end of the tribulation and doesn't have anything to do with the church, the first thing Jesus says in verse four, it says, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Why would Jesus, when they ask him, what's going to be the sign of your coming? You know, the one where we're going to cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why would Jesus start by saying, don't be deceived? A warning against uh, uh, a warning because he knew that the Antichrist would set himself up as God. Yep. The deception is going to be so strong. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be hard to believe the right thing because the deception is going to be strong. 
Yeah, um, people, and he, people are going to see the Antichrist wounded uh, mortally and, and brought back to life. Yep. And even in Second Thessalonians, it's going to say, it says God will send them strong delusion. That's yeah, right. They should even believe on, the lie. Yep, and yeah. they should believe the lie. Um, today, uh, there are times, you know, I, I actually don't pay hardly any attention to the news. I, I know what they're going to say. I really don't need to hear it. Um, but sometimes when I do hear the news, sometimes I wonder, do they even think they have to make sense anymore? No, they don't. I mean, I, I, they, you know, just the contradictions are so unbelievable. I just think what they, they, they don't even care if it makes sense. <laughs> because they know the world's population is diluted now. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to keep getting worse. Uh, and Paul says to Timothy, evil men and imposters will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Mm -hmm. um, that means tomorrow deception is going to be stronger. And tomorrow it's also going to be easier to be deceived. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible combination. So I just make that point that as we look at the world, deception is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And you really have to dig sometimes to find the truth. Uh, yep. But the truth is out there. Uh, so if you look at the beginning of this, I'll just say this in passing. From about verse 5 and, you know, to verse 31, and then you go and read Revelation, say, chapter 6 and following, you will see that the Olivet Discourse and what Jesus talks about mirrors Revelation very, very well. Yeah. Uh, he also makes reference in verse 15. Uh, he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet, and if you would go back and look at the verses Jesus is referencing about the abomination of desolation, he's clearly referencing the Antichrist and the end of the age. Right. And so those are two quick proofs. Again, if you want more information, please go listen to JB and what he says. Uh, the proofs I'm going to give are uh, actually just dealing with parables. Um, if you look and hold on, my again, my my notes got all kind of messed up. So if you go to Matthew, oh, what is it? 20, 24, 40. I'll read this just to address this verse. It says, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken away and the other left. Two men will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. That sure sounds a lot like the rapture. Yep. And uh, it's, it sounds like the rapture, but the verse right after that, it says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Well, that sure sounds a lot like what we just studied in the previous parable. Right. Now, Drop down to verse 44, it says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's almost word for word, the provoked thought of the last parable we studied. Yeah. Uh, in Matthew, let me see, 25 or 24, 44. No, no, I just read that one. 25, 13. It says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Again, sounds a lot like the parables we've been studying. Go to Matthew 24, uh, chapter 30. Or, excuse me, chapter 25, verse 30. Excuse me. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we've looked at that phrase. That phrase is always dealing with people getting into the kingdom or out of the kingdom. 
So the point I'm making here is just using the parables in the Olivet Discourse and looking at the similarities between parables we've actually just studied today, they sure sound like they're talking about the same event. Yeah. If you furthermore, if you look at the sheep and goats judgment, now that's not a parable. Um, that's literally going to happen. All that's happening is he's calling unbelievers goats and, sh and he's calling believers sheep. It's not a parable. But you look at what's happening in verse 31, or sorry, 32, it says, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. Now we know that's what's going to happen from the wheat and tares parable. We know that's what's going to happen from the dragnet. We know that's what's going to happen in the master returning from a wedding, or sorry, excuse me, the uh, the wedding for a king's son, where he's going to bring everybody in, and then whoever doesn't have the wedding clothes, they're going to be cast into outer darkness. And so from looking at the similarities of all these things that are in the Olivet Discourse and what we've and to what we've studied in the parables, I think that's actually a very strong proof that everything in the Olivet Discourse is talking about the tribulation. Uh, again, I'll just throw in there, the church does not exist yet. And so to try to insert the church into any of these parables doesn't make sense, just like it wouldn't make sense in any other parable that we've been studying. Right. Again, if you want more proof on that, please go listen to Pastor JB's uh, teaching on this. So it looks like we do have time. We'll actually do the first one. This is the parable of the fig tree. Uh, and this is in Matthew. We'll go back to Matthew chapter 24. And this is verse 32. Now, this parable is very simple. Uh, in verse 32, it says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. So we'll stop there and then we'll address the next two verses. Because again, those kind of give proofs to what we're talking about in the Olivet Discourse. So all it's saying is when a fig tree starts budding, you know that summer is near. Well, when do trees bud? In the spring, spring which means summer is the next season. Right. So what he's saying, so you also, when you see all these things, well, what does he mean by all these things? He's talking oh. about all the things he just talked about. Yeah. That are going to take place in the tribulation, uh, the wars, the famines, the pestilences, all that stuff. When you see those things, you know that it, what is it? It is near. That's Jesus coming back, the end or the end of the tribulation. Right. At the doors, even. So all these things, so as all these things are passing and you're seeing them sequentially right after another, and you can look back and go, yep, that happened. Yep, that happened. Uh, Jesus is coming back really soon. Verse 34, now let's address this because it helps us uh, really understand that this is talking about the tribulation. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, a lot of people have used this verse when he says this generation to say all the things he just talked about happened before 70 AD. Uh, I'll tell you that can't be true because Jesus didn't come back in 70 AD. Yeah. Uh, if, he, if he did, that means we're in the kingdom now 
Yeah. And I, I don't know about you, Curtis. I don't see kingdom conditions that are talked about in the Old Testament. I don't see those right now. Yeah, not hardly. Yeah. So when he says, uh, by no means pass away till all these things take place, well, all those things, all the things he just talked about, again, the wars, the pestilences, famines, those haven't taken place yet. So he can't be, so when he's talking about this, it's not something that's happened. So who is this generation? Well, this generation is the one Jesus is talking about, not the one he's talking to. That's right. That's correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus is talking to the disciples, but, oh, wow. the, but the disciples are not going to experience these things. Right. He is talking about the generation that will experience it. Right. Um, yep. Now, this shouldn't shock us at all, because in the Old Testament, it's extremely common for prophets to be talking to the people at the time and talking about events that will happen in the future. Right. So it's very natural to say, surely I say to you, this generation, the one about whom I'm speaking, not the one to whom I'm speaking, will by no means pass away to all these things take place. Whatever generation experiences the tribulation that one that generation will not end before the tribulation or before jesus comes back right but that's what it's saying now let's get this next verse here verse 35 heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away uh pastor dick you ever read this verse and say and think we're still going to be studying these 66 books in heaven forever mm -hmm. i think it's going to uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, heaven and earth will pass away. Yeah, this heaven and earth, it will pass away. It's going to melt, uh, as Peter says in Second Peter, and God's going to create it brand new. Uh, new heavens and new earth in Revelation, new means new. It doesn't mean refurbished. That's right. Uh, or remodeled or anything like that. It means new. So heaven and earth will pass away this this earth, this universe will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. They're going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And the amazing, I like to think, Pastor Dick, you and I both love to learn and study all the time. Yeah. We're still going to be learning about God into eternity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We won't know everything about him. We're going to continue to learn. And that's amazing to think. Yep. So yeah, and, and and you you hit it right. That's we're we're still going to be learning. You know, in the love chapter, so called First Corinthians thirteen, there's a verse that says Paul says, "But now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to but face. then face to face. Then shall I know, even mm -hmm. as also I have known." So there's going to be um, scriptural uh, truth uh, coming to us constantly. For as long as we live, which shall be how long? Forever. Forever. Wow. And ever. Yeah. My wife thinks I get too busy sometimes when I run down the basement steps to my study, which I call the alliteration room. And she'll tell people, oh, he goes down there six or seven times a day. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Only I won't have to climb stairs anymore, huh? <laughs> well hey you know things that get me excited too you know john says it does not appear what we shall be yeah but we know when he appears we shall be like him 
uh, I tell my, you know, I tell lots of stories to my kids. Um, and I always, they like the story of Elijah. And I obviously liked it too. I named one of my kids after the prophet. And whenever we tell the story and it starts raining uh, at the end of Mount Carmel and uh, Elijah outruns the chariot, mm-hmm. I always tell my kids, I say, boys, I really hope I can run that fast in heaven. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to, but I really hope so. Because <laughs> yeah. that'd just be so neat to be able to Would run it? that fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Okay. So I, I don't know about you, Pastor Dick and Curtis. I love talking about what heaven will be like. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. I, I, oh, I, have, yeah. I have a friend sometimes, and we just sit there and go, I wonder what this will be like in heaven, or I wonder what this, I wonder if we'll care, I wonder if we'll know, I wonder blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I yeah. just, oh, I love thinking about it. Okay, <laughs> but I have to get back on task. So there you go. So this parable, <laughs> the, the thought is when you see all the events of the tribulation, know that Christ's second coming is near, at the doors even. Well, this parable, like many of the other parables, doesn't directly apply to us in the church. But we know the same thing applies. When we see the things that are going to happen in the tribulation start to happen, we know that the rapture has to be coming near. Yeah, very near. Mm -hmm. It's got to be. Now, it could be another number of years. Uh, You know, the thing I hate but saying that is, I think, as bad as things are right now, and as much as they're squeezing, they could get a lot worse oh, yeah. uh, before the rapture happens. Absolutely. Um, it, and maybe as you're listening to this podcast, you're in an area of the world where you think it can't get any worse. Um, and, you know, I will admit to you here in America, I have a bit of a skewed spec- perspective. That is very true. Yeah. Um, but, but what I do know is it's going to get worse for the whole world as we get closer. Yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, we in the church, we need to be watching and be ready uh, because it sure looks like it's close. Um, so certainly does. So if you have not placed your faith in Christ, uh, you need to place your faith in Christ as who died for your sins and rose from the grave. Uh, and he'll give you eternal life for it. Um, yeah. If you're trusting in something else, um, I encourage you that isn't going to save you. Trust in Christ. If, if you are a believer, it sure seems like it's close. We need to tell people to believe in Christ. Yeah. Um, as, as many issues are out there and as much is happening in the world and, you know, we want to enlighten people. We don't want them to be deceived, all those things. Believers still focus on the gospel and preaching the gospel to people because the most important thing is that they believe in Jesus. Amen. That's right. <laughs> Yep. And that's why we do these podcasts, exactly. so that people will believe on Jesus Christ. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and we are and we are doing our best. Um, right. I I will happily, well, not happily necessarily. I will readily admit that I do not have a gift of evangelism. Um, I am not the best person at telling people about the gospel, but you know I sure try uh, because yep. I know who lives inside of me. And I know he's able to convict people, and I just do the best I can. Amen. And and keep it up, brother, because you're doing a really good job. Yes, you are. And I try. I, I don't think so, but I try. So. Okay. Well, I'll, well, I won't. I won't say that ever again. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't want you to quit trying to get better because we are. I'm 81. Mm-hmm. I still think I can do things better. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. 
and, and that's our admonition. Uh, Dick, if you want to, I think I've given about four invitations tonight. Oh, But yeah. you know what? One more wouldn't hurt, I'm sure, if you want to give a final one. Yes, I do. It's uh, <clears throat> the, the day is coming upon us. It could be tonight. Uh, don't waste any time. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When you do that, that will happen immediately and last forever. Amen. So please believe that Jesus died for your sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, verse, verses 1 through 4. Only believe, for by grace are you saved through faith. Won't you do so today? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved. And heaven is secure. If not, your only other alternative is hell. Do it today, please. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to take this back for a second. Sure. Uh, yeah. Boy, um, four invitations might be a record for... Well, five invitations now might be a record for how many I've heard in one service <laughs> since Billy Graham, I think. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what, we, I, I, in my mind, you can't have enough of those. Um, yeah, we, we need to be reaching out to people with the gospel, and that's why we do what we do. So, Lucas, thank you again for being with us tonight and uh, shedding some light on... Um, some sometimes very confusing issues for people regarding regarding parables and uh, and the coming kingdom. Uh, you do a marvelous job at it. Uh, I can attest because I stay on top of our analytics pretty pretty well. I can attest to the fact that uh, what you have to say, what you're telling the folks, is garnering quite a bit of attention. So keep it up, brother. Keep it up. And let me remind our listeners uh, that joined us tonight to look for Lucas Doremus's books. Anywhere books are sold online, you can get them print on demand. And uh, uh, there are how many of them? Four of them right now? Three of them right now. Three of them, yeah. Ecclesiastes, Job, uh, and and this one on parables. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so be looking for those. You can find out the titles by... Uh, typing in Lucas Doremus and you'll get a list of, of all the books that he's written. I'll bet he's working on more, um, aren't you? Well, I've got ideas swirling, uh, kind of but, no, but nothing's being typed out right now. <laughs> okay. You know. All right. Well, uh, let, let them swirl, sir. Uh, yeah. uh, they, they've got the pen has to hit the paper at some point in time with you. I know it. So mm -hmm. uh, we're looking forward to whatever you got to offer next, man. Mm -hmm. uh, listen, at this point, uh, we're going to invite you to be with us here at the Christian Underground News Network this coming Tuesday for uh, another session with Dr. J.B. Hickson. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be good stuff. Uh, and we hope that you've been blessed tonight, and we hope that you'll be blessed as usual on Tuesday and then again Saturday morning when Pastor Dick continues his Mysteries of the Gospel series. So with that, we're going to say goodnight and sign off, and we will see you again Tuesday.
All right. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, Lucas, thank you again. And God bless you, buddy. See ya. We'll see you soon.